Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Yo, what's beef? Besides what Americans eat too much of, it's also what is not safe in the streets. That's a picky small song. I want to talk about beef this episode. In the hood, as in in geopolitics, sometimes it's hard to imagine the situation being anything else. You never question where some of the norms kind of came from. What is conservative and liberal? Have we always been this binary? You know, what do we mean by right wing and left wing? Well, that actually came from the French Revolution and the Parliament. That's where we get those terms. This is basically where the side of the room they were sitting on. So it came from somewhere. We just think as normal. One of those things is the situation in the Middle East. It's just always been this way. Or has it always been this way? No. So today I want to introduce to you a reoccurring type of episode we're going to have, which is not so much the same format of just like, let's look at the headlines and let me help you understand the headlines. Some of those headlines don't make sense unless you have context, unless you have backstory. You ever thought about why Crips are even beefing with blood? Where did the blue and the red come from? Like, why is this just what it is? Why? And with the, you know, killing of Qasem Soleimani, which was a name that nobody ever said unless you was really embedded into the situation. Americans really didn't know who this guy was. But we also knew that we've been in a forever war, that this 9-11 issue in 2001 really didn't start this stuff, man. Our movies since the 80s have had the bad guy come from the Middle East. Before that, he came from Russia. Well, in any action movie we've had it's cold war well cold war came from somewhere the the conflict in the middle east man that came from somewhere you ever ask yourself how did we even get here 
Today we're going to figure out this beef. Y'all ready? Backstory. What is beef? So who we putting on the hood today is someone who actually needs no putting on because he earned his own stripes in his own way. The founder and CEO of Preemptive Love and someone who I have recently joined the board of directors with. This hey. is so amazing. Hey, my man, Jeremy Courtney. Y'all make some noise. Jeremy Courtney. What's up, Jeremy? What's up, man? Yeah, buddy. So this is a special episode which has been introduced and explained before you got on this call. <laughs> I don't need to go back through it again, but I'm going to start with this little story. I was out at this thing in the mountains of Utah, just this beautiful, just ski resort with people that I'm like at least four and five tax brackets below them. (laughs) But it was an amazing thing. So I was talking about the work preemptive love does. I got my homeboy that lives in Iraq. And I was like, man, I'm going to go visit that fool pretty soon. Yada, yada. I just want to see what's going on over there. And I was like, yeah, they work in Syria too. At some point I want to like pull up to Syria. And the people in the room were like, yo, that's crazy, man. You're going to, you're really going to go to Syria. And I was like, yeah, you know? And then, uh, one sister was like, why, why, what's going on in Syria? And at what? first I was like, Stop it. are you serious? And then we were, so the whole room was like, yo, it's a civil war, like a war that's money, man. Right. It can, it can buy your way out of even awareness, dude. But wait, it gets even better. <laughs> this is, this gets even better. She looks at me and she goes, oh, oh, you mean that war? Oh, whatever. And then I was like, what? And then it turns out her friends go oh yeah you're from lebanon so she was born and raised in beirut so she's just like what it's like i was like oh my god it's all relative you know what i'm saying she was like oh oh that war i thought you was telling me something new i thought you were talking about something that ain't happened before that i haven't lived through my whole life this immediately took me back to when i got sort of bust into a different elementary school that was outside of my neighborhood, outside of where I grew up in. And I would say, hey, on the weekend, kids would be like, hey, what are you doing on the weekend? I was like, I'm going to visit my grandma. And they was like, where does she live? And I was like, my grandma lives in South Central LA. And they would say, are you serious? Like, really? You're going to, are you okay? Like, you're going to go there? And I remember just being so shocked as to like, I don't understand. It's my grandma. It's my grandma's house. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go visit. What are, you, are you scared? Like, scared of what? Like, just so having no idea what their reference point was and why they were so blown away that I didn't think twice. I was like, y- y'all don't understand. Like, I that's, that's where I live. Like, excuse me? You know? Um, so it, it, it just, it really took me back to that and just thought to myself, man, like, When you're outside of something, one, you really don't see that like, okay, normal life is also happening, right? And then two, life wasn't always like this, but you learn to adjust in your head. You kind of feel like if this is all you know, the thought never crossed your mind, like how did we get here? So as we all, as we start every episode, I'm gonna ask you first a question about just like street life, which I don't expect you to know, but if you do, that'd be rad. So the origins of the Crips and Bloods, any any clue? 
Not like you know it. <laughs> Give it to me. Not like <laughs> Give I know it. Give it to me fresh. Yeah. <laughs> well, little background story about that and then how they started beefing. I don't want to get into a lot of it, but I just want you to know, and everybody knows that like inner city Los Angeles wasn't always like this. There was a start. The start was in the beginning of the 70s. A lot of people don't know there was a, there's a direct connection between the Black Panthers and the original Crip gangs. These were essentially the little brothers of FBI destroyed Black Panthers, who essentially, in the same way that the Panthers looked at their forefathers in the civil rights movement, saying, hey, what you guys did didn't work, man. Just cool. Thank you. But I think this needs to be we need to take this a step further. And that's kind of like the mindset of the of the Panthers. Right. And then after the FBI systematically destroyed the Panthers, you have their younger brothers. Okay. Y'all tried it like this. You tried it like this. Forget it. We need to take matters in our own hands. Like no one's going to take care of us. It's never going to work. We need to start doing our things. Trying to get the laws changed. The laws aren't fair. The laws will never be fair. We need to just take matters in our own hands. Um, This was at Fremont High School, the first Crip gang, which a little connection to myself is had I lived with my grandmother, the high school I went to. And it started off as just a collection of neighborhoods kind of sort of policing themselves and, and then enter drugs you enter crack sales and activities and extortions and all these other things. And then eventually these like neighborhood autonomous gangs essentially started beefing among each other. Then down in Compton, there was an area called Compton Crips. And then there was a street called Piru. And on Piru, there was a group of young men that were like, look, we need to now, we need to not only have protection from the police, we need to have protection from these other neighborhoods. And they formed themselves as sort of like anti-crip and became the blood so there's a there's there's a, there's a history of of seeing like the sort of the expansion of the crips is what kind of created the bloods you would say it is like you you were you assume too much autonomy and a mu- too much freedom at some point somebody's like look man you can't we didn't all agree that you the police of the region we kind of want some of this some of this street money too and it kind of been beefing ever since now that obviously that's the shortest possible simplified version basically that's the story now what does that have to do with geopolitics if you're anywhere around me and jeremy's age you've in a forever war a forever war that in our minds from when we were in elementary school and we did desert shield and desert storm all the way to 9-11 and just like and then this war on terror either way it was some region on the other side of the world was the problem (laughs) that we all experienced my man jeremy moved into that we need a little backstory. That's what Jeremy's here for. So, Jeremy, what's wrong with the Middle East? What's wrong with the Middle East? Man, what a way to serve it up. I know, uh, right? Just a, like, what's wrong with the hood? Like, oh. I mean, yeah, let's, let's be honest. There's a lot wrong with the Middle East. And I think one of, the, one of the critiques of those who make so much critique these days is that uh, we're, basically we get polarized into these camps of either we blame it all on the West or yeah. we blame it all on the rest. You know, that's Mm -hmm. kind of the way that some of the conversation is framed up. And so it's either Mm -hmm. all their fault, the imperialists, the colonizers, the slave traders and the slave owners and, you know, whoever set us down this road, or it's, it's all their fault. You know, the people who got liberated, they got free, they got their chance, they got their shot. And what'd they do with it? They blew it. They had 30 year dictatorships, they had terrorism, they had corruption, they had We've given them all this aid, military, humanitarian, political. We've tried to build their nations. We've, you know, and they blew it. Mm. And if it weren't for those guys, whichever side you stand on, then things would have just been fine. And so I want to, having lived through some cycles of violence and having lived in this part of the world for 
16 plus years now. I want to be an honest broker. I think there's there's truth on both sides of that yeah. conversation. Um, it does matter profoundly where you jump into the river yeah. as to how you view or tell the story. You know, I don't know if it's worth, I don't know how many hundreds of years back hmm. it's worth going to get the story right. That's you know? good, man. That's that's in the same way that like where you want to start when you talk about like inner city gangs. Well, do you want to start at the slave ship? Do you want to start yep. at, you know, at Reconstruction? Do you want to start at Jim Crow? Like, where do you want to start? That's good, man. And so it's like wherever you jump in, is it all police brutality or is it all means of survival? That's good. Anyway, go on. Well, and, you know, frankly, it, it matters profoundly. I think you and I both come from Christian backgrounds where we've seen a lot of people just throw up their hands. They go all the way back to the beginning, quote unquote. Yeah. And they just throw up their hands and go, well, sin, what are you going to do? Right. And it's kind of it's kind of the ultimate trump card. It's like, well, there's nothing we can do about these things because humanity is ultimately depraved. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that as a, a really gross version of going back to who threw the first punch. Like, yeah. I, that doesn't work for me. I find that deeply unhelpful. Yeah. So... We got to jump in somewhere on any conflict, on any conversation. I think the historical contextual approach is is always very helpful. And it's something that, frankly, I think around the world right now, we're seeing leaders who are not very adept, who aren't very skilled at knowing their history and knowing how to wield it well. We've sort of been reduced to a kind of populist, pugilistic leadership where whoever screams the loudest and whoever threatens to punch the other guy in the face the toughest they seem to be winning or Mm -hmm. at least ascending in politics around the world so 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 take us back though take us back to the first um who hit first yeah just like yeah and then even how america got involved in the first place so so if you could take us back to okay so we've done an episode on the red couch podcast about the cia's involvement in taking down of like mozadek our interest in having a player there in that part of the in that region that's sort of on our side sort of how just the the disorienting destabilization when someone puts their hands in a in in a place where you were used to being able to sort of exact um, resources from, and then somebody finally says, "Like, hold up, now, like, I don't. It's okay for you to just you just be taking our stuff here." And how that messes up our own sort of status. You know, I, that was 1953, so we we went all the way back there. But I know that in a lot of ways, that sowed a lot of seeds that brought us to that first Iran Iraq war in the 80s. Maybe take us back to that, like to that Iran Iraq war. Where'd that start? Why is Kuwait involved? You know, when Kuwait, I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding here that I know you'll get to, but there was a moment where what we would call affiliation happened, where Kuwait was just really just trying to get some oil rigs through through the seas, would look to America to be like, yo, can you help us like not get shot at? We said no. They was like, okay, cool. What's up with Russia though? Maybe Russia will help us get through, right? And we was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll help you, we'll help you. And we just essentially put our flag on their boat. It's something that I've experienced in my own life where someone just sort of like stamped their safety on me in, in, in a sense of like, I didn't want to be a part of none of this anyway, but I just found myself caught in the middle of something that I didn't ask to be caught of. Maybe take us, take us back to that Iran-Iraq war and how all that stuff started happening. Yeah, 
So the the Iran-Iraq war was born out of about 27 years of repressive regime in Iran that was propped up by the United States. Hmm. So um, we go back to 1953 when the yeah. United States partnered up with the the UK really on behalf of a fully UK agenda. Yeah to overthrow the democratically elected Mossadegh who yeah. had who really was leading a populist nationalist movement of Iranians who were opposed to the ways in which the the British had struck a deal uh, yeah. with a previous leader of of Iran yeah. to extract oil out of Iran for yeah. like a 100 year concession yeah. and the oil deal was was really bad for Iran, really bad for the people of Iran. Mm -hmm. And the Anglo-Persian oil company was was involved in a lot of exploitation mm. of Iranians for the sake of propping up the British fleet throughout mm -hmm. World War One and then on into World War Two. After all these years of living under this oppressive corporate sort of state-sponsored oil concession, this guy named Mohammad Mossadegh rises up inside Iran to lead a nationalist movement and yeah. said very much on the face of it, I'm going to nationalize our oil fields. I'm going to get back for us what was ours. Our birthright was essentially sold out from mm. under us by our previously corrupt Shah. I'm going to get mm -hmm. it back. You elect me, I'm going to get our land back and I'm not going to yes. let the British occupy our land in the name of corporate exploits anymore. Uh -huh. Well, obviously, it was very controversial. Brits tried to get him ousted from power. Truman wasn't interested, but when Eisenhower came to power, Eisenhower's CIA and State Department partnered up with the Brits to oust Mossadegh. So when they oust him, they they bring back to power this Shah, uh, which is you know essentially their their king, yeah. And he goes on to rule for another 27 years. But yeah. now, during part two of his reign, he he's more repressive. You know, mm -hmm. he's he's already had the hit put in on him once more. Yeah. And uh, he comes back with a very heavy hand. And so for the rest of his reign, he really drives the country even further into the ground, drives the people further into the ground, and people are experiencing his brutishness for a couple of decades. Yeah. In the late 70s, then um, there was a, a rising movement against him that culminated in what we now call the Islamic Revolution. Yeah. And Ayatollah Khomeini, preacher, a cleric, right? Yeah. Took over the took over the country with his his people. He he basically had a tape cassette ministry. He was the first <laughs> he was the first podcaster of Iran, so yeah. to speak. You know, and and with his uh, his tape cassette sermons that he was blasting out from safety in Iraq and Paris, he mobilized millions of wait, Iranians. Wait, hold up. To he wasn't even there? The government. For a while, he wasn't even there. I didn't even know that. He wasn't even in the hood. No. Dang. He okay. Back. He had he had already fled the Shah at one point. Yeah. And uh, through this tape, literally a tape cassette <laughs> ministry of his sermons, wow. he, he mobilized this army and the people helped oust the Shah. And so then the Islamic Revolution was on. Mm -hmm. And essentially, Saddam Hussein, who was a real military man, uh, yeah. a guy who believed in state power and state institutions, yeah. next door, he sees this preacher, now suddenly the leader of a 
a whole country. And he's like, oh, I can take this guy. They got a preacher now? I can take this guy. Word. And so then he he invades this uh, contested plot of land that has been at issue between Iran and Iraq for a while. And okay. the preacher the preacher sends his foot soldiers with a, a theological zeal against Iraq. And then we get this eight-year war. Yeah. Saddam bit off more than he could chew. He underestimated the preacher. And it kind of becomes the preacher versus the the commander-in-chief and yeah. resulted in hundreds of thousands of deaths over eight years. So California got the best weed in the world, right? So we know that. California grows the best weed. California's been supplying Atlanta its weed. Atlanta been buying California weed uh, and really only paying us 20%, maybe, keeping 80 And all of a sudden, California go, um... I don't know if this is a fair deal. Like, y'all ate, like, it grow here. Like, who agreed to this? Well, one of our big homies agreed to it. At some point, a new young dude is like, yo, time out, man. Like, y'all, y'all just can't keep just getting this stuff at this cheap. And we out here struggling, you know, trying to run stuff down from the doggone border from Mexico. You know, we running into the police and the federales and carrying on. Like, we going through too much when the stuff grow here. Like, you trying to fund your mission on our stuff, and we only getting pennies from what? This ain't right. Atlanta say, oh, no, we can't have that. You ain't finna mess this up. So even though this little homie's starting to take over L.A. and be like, no, 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 you need to pay us our just due, we like, no, Atlanta's going, no, we can't have that. So Atlanta talked to their big homies in D.C. and they like, hey, cuz, you know, this finna mess up our bag. D.C. comes down and says, okay, let me, let me, let me go ahead and help y'all with this. So D.C. and Atlanta make sure they take out the young homie that was trying to stop la from getting the money that's just due from them right and then they put the big homie that put the original deal in place back in charge but that guy's terrible and that's not who the hood wants but we can't help it because atlanta and dc done already decided that that's their boy so you out of luck then eventually some hotep dude <coughs> born and raised in LA and it's like no this no this needs to change so this hotep get everybody in LA back together some nation of Islam hotep dude talking about the black man is God <laughs> gets LA back and get their stuff together right but then Long Beach look up and he go wait a minute LA ran by a hotep now oh I could take this fool out back to Jeremy the racket wasn't merely somebody else's drugs, somebody else's extortion. It was birthright. I mean, it was like, it was the land beneath your feet. It was the resources beneath your feet. Like, it wasn't imported from Colombia. It was, it was your resources. From an American perspective, we've just kind of looked over there and been like, well, all your languages sound the same. It just, you all look like the same people to us. So... We can't tell the difference between a Saudi Arabia, uh, a, 
a very secular leader in Saddam Hussein, a cleric in the Ayatollah Khomeini, we just looked at them and just went, y'all all Islamic. So we don't, we don't understand none of this. You know, I think there have been people like that, decision mm-hmm. makers like that. I think there have been voters like that mm. in the, in the night. If we go back to 1953, a little bit earlier when Truman was hit up by the Brits initially, initially the Brits approached the U.S. and said, hey, they're taking our oil. You got to help us. Yeah. And Truman was like, no, that's your problem. I'm yeah. not, I'm not looking to start a yeah. war because they're taking your oil. You deal with your own. That's between y'all imperial issues yeah but then the brits savvied up and after truman was out eisenhower a military man was in Mm -hmm. they tried again and they approached the dulles brothers one of them heading up cia the other one heading up state the brits said they tried a totally different strategy this time Mm. they approached it through a lens of american self-interest not british interest Mm. and they said mossadegh is a communist and When you look at how close Iran is to Russia, USSR, this whole situation, like you guys got to act. You got to act fast because if Iran falls, then it's it's game over. That's the whole thing. So we're in Cold War era Mm -hmm. mindset right now. And they really got us. They really got us on that one by saying Iran is going to fall under Russia's USSR sphere. And that worked. And so we overthrew... Mossadegh, not because of Islam. We overthrew Mossadegh because of Russia or Soviet. And that sort of like fear that someone's going to fly a red rag in front of a blue rag has driven, at least in my lifetime, from my father being in Vietnam all the way to like, you know, my... It's Yep. It's a very similar story to Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. All the way. Yeah. All the way to like my eldest daughter's birth father who was in Afghanistan. You know what I'm saying? Like just that fear that you're going to fly a different flag, which apparently puts me in danger. It's just, it's, it, it just seems like it just landed us in this forever war. Which is why it's so important for us to know people outside of our own worldview and yeah. outside of our it it's what helps inoculate us a little bit to hysteria mm. i mean there are real fears i'm not yeah. I, i'm not a i would not have been a fan even from today's vantage point looking back on history i wouldn't have been a fan of iran falling under the soviet sphere that, yeah. that probably would have been a very bad thing yeah i think the more needful question was is that a likelihood yeah um is that really what Mossadegh's preaching? Is that really what's going on here? We managed to find a way into Iran mm-hmm. to manipulate 90% of the mosques and newspapers across Iran to tell the story we wanted them to tell. Wow. We owned the streets yeah. in 1953, and we got them to tell the story that we wanted them to tell. So if we could do that, why couldn't we go in and listen more carefully and understand, is this a, a pro-Soviet movement that's hmm. really happening, or is it a pro-Iranian movement yeah. that's really happening? Yeah, an anti-imperialist because yeah. the Soviet was just another imperial force. Yeah, and I, there's a pretty strong argument that Mossadegh wasn't looking to fall under the sway of another empire. Yeah, a lot of times, like just the comparison between, like you said, these are just these are your as far as as far as the Iranian is concerned, it's like. All of y'all are problems. Am I coming up again in inner city stuff like crib, blood, cop, 
Cholo, it's just like at the end of the day, man, like y'all all the same. Either way, you've made it hard for me to walk home, play football in the streets outside. Like it's just at the end of the day. And whether it was four streets over when I was riding home on my bike, somebody took my bike and I walk into the house and the congregate of young men next door to me took a personal offense that a little kid on A Street got robbed that they decided to get up and go get my bike back so now all of a sudden i'm affiliated with this you know and it's not mm. necessarily i asked for it it's just man you was willing mm -hmm. to go get my bike back you know so i'm gonna have an affinity towards these guys one they live next door i mean i've known them forever and then two like they got my bike back you know a, a situation to where someone just knocks on the door and it's just like you know what sets you claim and it's like well which one of what do i need to tell you that's going to stop you from hurting my to family. To make you go away right yes. now. Yes. What do I got to tell you to make you go away right family? So all that to say, what makes a radical? What makes a, what's make a, what makes an Islamic extremist? Like what, mm -hmm. what makes that? If you imagine, if you imagine a pyramid, mm -hmm. um, I've, I've often described the, the, the violence that we kind of just lived through here in Iraq a couple of years with the rise of ISIS, you know, mm -hmm. taking over a third of Syria, a third of Iraq. Yeah. We ourselves were on the front lines of some of that violence as, as ISIS was being pushed back. Mm -hmm. Our teams have been shot at and bombed trying to feed and free people from this situation. Yeah. And it has, I've seen the way words and policies have turned people more and more violent Yeah. in ways that they didn't have to be. I've yeah. seen the ways that an effort to protect ourselves uh, from those people mm. has ended up being kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy for those people yeah. where they're like, oh, well, if you're set against me, then I guess I have to be set against you just yeah. to just to survive. And then they become the very thing that we said they were. Yeah. So if you envision a pyramid, I think of it like this, the base of the pyramid. So if you look at that hood, that city, mm -hmm. uh, that place, that territory, um, and you look at the population there, if you're an outsider, kind of like they were talking about your grandma's house, mm -hmm. like you might be inclined to look at that whole Long Beach or that whole Compton or that yeah. whatever as like, that's all gangland. Yeah. Meaning every single person involved is a quote unquote radical. Yeah. They believe the thing. They're, yeah. they're all in on it. But that's not, I don't think that's true. That's not, that of doesn't bear not. out with what I've seen. Yeah. Um, the base of the pyramid are people that I sometimes call the conquered. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest, widest um, swath of people. Yes. They are the conquered. A level up from that, a slightly smaller group, you might call the collaborators. What we would call they're, affiliated. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Good. So they're people who might like point you in the right direction. Yeah. They're not, they're not believers, but they're, they're engaged in some kind of way usually just to like not get beat up themselves, not get their family killed themselves. Yes. In our ISIS situation, I think these were some of the Sunni Arabs. Mm. ISIS rolls up into town. They say, where are the Christians? Or where are the Yazidis? Yeah. And some Sunni Arab dad will point to his neighbor's house and say, it's not me, man. We're Sunni just like you. It's these guys next door. Mm. He probably doesn't hate his neighbor. He probably doesn't want to see genocide happen to the Yazidis. He just loves his kids. He doesn't hate their religion. Yeah. He's just trying to get his daughter to not be raped today. Yes. And so he points to the door next door. And then something horrific befalls 
the door next door and all those Christians and all those Yazidis, mm-hmm. he feels bad about it. He genuinely hates it. But is he guilty in the same way that the guy who held the knife is guilty? I mean, I guess you can have that ethical conversation. Yes. But, but from, from his perspective, he was trying to protect his own household, you know? Yeah. A level up from that, collaborators, I'd say there's, there's criminals. Mm-hmm. These are people who actually hold the gun, hold the knife, do the thing. They break in, they rape, they steal, they, they, they sell the drugs, they do whatever they do. These are, they're actual criminals. They engage in something that is That's what we call banging. That's gang banging. You still putting in work. That's right. Yes. Okay. Up from criminals, an even smaller proportion of the overall population, I would say, are something like the cultists. These are the people who actually believe the ideology. Yeah. Um, they they believe the theology in the case of like an ISIS or whatever. And then often, I think the guys at the very tip top of the pyramid, the smallest group, the one mm-hmm. or two heads of a region or whatever, mm-hmm. they they aren't even cultists. They're just in it for pure power and money. That's the uh, shot they, caller. That's what we would call it. They don't even that. believe the thing that they're saying. Nope. They know it's all a religion, uh, like a mythos. Uh, but they know how to mobilize people. That's the and boss, the shot caller, the boss, the yep. shot caller who the you know, this thing before under that we would call like that would be like the OGs or like the prison dudes that are like, nah, we in this. This is our life. I bleed blue. I don't care. I was born into this. It ain't choose me. You know what I'm saying? Dudes that are like calling shots in the streets. But then the dudes above them are just like, man, I'm just out here making money. I don't care. Blue, red or blue don't matter. I'm just here making money. So interesting. But they know they know how to leverage yes. the history, the story, the ideology to keep the keep everyone else moving and keep everyone else afraid and inspired. Yeah. I, I hope that makes sense for the rest of y'all. It makes perfect sense to me. Last thing I'd ask you, Jeremy, is like maybe talk a little bit about preemptive love, what we're doing, and where we're going next with it. We're working to end war. Period. And I, I don't mean to say that flippantly. I think, uh, look at L.A. L.A. is not what it was in, in the 80s. Absolutely. Like, there are things that can be done to end war. Yes. And there are policies and things that can be done, stories we can tell about each other to escalate violent. Some of the way you told the story from the Panthers on down supports our thesis and what we've seen on the streets that violence spreads like a disease. And it's important that we have first responders to stop the blood letting, stop the spread of that disease as quickly as possible. So that's a lot of what we do. We, we respond fast mm-hmm. in conflict zones to keep that story from spreading to the next group, to, from spreading to the next person. Um, and then we do job creation. We are, we are primarily a job creation community because nothing helps more than good economic conditions to live in. Uh, nothing really accelerates people's alignment with militias and gangs and militaries 
like the promise of food on the table. Hmm. And if we can give strong, strong, robust alternatives to that, it ultimately helps lock it out so good. altogether. Yeah. Father Greg Boyle uh, at Homeboy Industries out here, he has a T-shirt. I remember it changed my life. T-shirt said, nothing stops a bullet like a job. That's right. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you for your time, man. Let me show you how real Jeremy keeps it. While we were starting this, the power went out. And then he just was like, hey, the power went out. Just give me a second. And then it popped right back on. I'm just like, look, man, look. Jeremy, if there's somebody who's got like the receipts and the stripes, if you're looking to donate to organizations where if my name means anything, like I swear to you, the money is going where these people say it's going. Like it's real work happening. These dudes ain't, they're not, these ain't drone strike people sitting in somewhere in Van Nuys. Like look over there, look at the work we doing. It's people who putting their own children in like the own children in the, in the, in the space, like we put their bodies in harm's way for the sake of waging peace. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Everybody doing over there at Preemptive Love. Like I said, I am proudly, and it is my honor to be a part of this team. And thank you again for being a part of this out. Thanks, man. My G. Grateful to do it with you. Well, that's our show. The show's mixed and mastered, as you know, by the big homie Matt Awasowski. 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 Awas. He told me a story about his granddad who, or his dad that was in war or in the Navy. And the Navy recruiter was like, hey, uh, Matt um, Osaki. Osaka. Is Matt Osaka here? He's like, no, no, Matt Osaka's not here. It's not my name. Anyway. Uh, Special thanks to all of our Patreons who keep making this happen. Big shout out to Jeremy Courtney. You can follow him and their work at preemptivelove.org. Go get yourself some refugee soap. And by saying that, I mean soap made by refugees. Like literally poke around that website. It's nothing like it. Um, And our theme music was as always made by the big homie dj sean p and like we say at the end of every show politics is just gang banging in nice suits we'll see you next week except jeremy dropped a new nugget that i just wanted to save to the end y'all check out this last nugget jeremy dropped i i think we got to know our history but what is ultimately needed is someone who can point us forward, mm-hmm. someone who can look to the future, someone who can take a a good faith peacemaking negotiation kind of brokership on behalf of both sides, who can be seen as a, a good faith actor by everyone involved and help move the conversation into the future. And, and that's a tall mm-hmm. order, but I, I think it's really what is needed in various conflicts around the world, including the Middle East. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.